Welcome to Let's Talk Faith and Justice. My name's Lyndon Sayers, pronouns he, him. And my name is Boston, pronouns he, him. And so today we want to kind of unpack the phrase. I threw this at Lyndon kind of last minute, but we want to unpack the phrase, there's no hate like Christian love. This is something that I see a lot online in comment sections. Um, Usually sort of underneath a video of some pastor saying absolutely god-awful things into a microphone. Um, Trigger warning, I'm going to say an example of something because we were talking about examples before we started recording. Um, The most recent one that I saw was on a page uh, called Christian Nightmares. And so on this page, there was a pastor some pastor in the United States, I don't know. I don't I didn't care to remember his name because, you know, he was it seems like an awful person. But he was talking about the fact that he had seen a little boy with painted fingernails. And he's talking about it and he's getting really he's you know, he's getting really worked up, really worked up, and eventually he says that he wanted to reach out and break this little boy's fingers because they're painted. And so and then of course all in the comments it's like oh yeah there's no there's no hate like christian love there's no hate like christian love um and we also i also thought that this could connect back to our last episode when we were talking about mega churches um this is kind of another thing that i i see a lot is when these mega churches will say you know you're welcome here everyone's welcome here in terms of queer affirmation and you know everyone's welcome here but we believe that marriage is between a man and a woman and, and we'll go on this big, well, yada, yada, yada. And people will say, well, there's no hate like Christian love. So yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what we want to, we want to talk about today. I guess I already did start talking about it a little bit, but <laughs> no. Well, it's good to have a, a starting point. And I think we've all seen examples like that, even if we might not be familiar with that particular phrase, but it's, yeah, it sounds familiar that's a horrific example of the pastor with the kid with the painted fingernails. Like that is your, when that is your go, not only your, your immediate response, but something you say out loud publicly and think that's okay to share in a church setting as a pastor. Yeah. It just shows um, just the spectrum of just horrific, unacceptable behavior from Christian pastors and a reason why we do need to be held publicly accountable for words and actions when pastors are saying stuff like that. that, And then it gets shared online and can normalize violence even against uh, children. So, yeah, horrific shouldn't be, um, I don't know, underestimated how far-reaching that stuff can be. Right, so not just the congregation, but much, much wider with the internet. Um, and to think about like that has also now become a kind of catchphrase that there's uh, no hate like Christian love. Um, I think we really have to reckon with the fact that for a lot of people, right trauma with christian churches is is real it's ongoing um 
And examples like this that keep popping up only perpetuate that, make it worse. So it's one reason as progressive Christians to speak out against that, not minimize it, not say it's not significant, not say, well, we, that's not the kind of love we talk about. Well, that might be true, but we have to first just confess that for many Christians that these are ways they speak and act in manners of hate. So what does that, what do we do with that, I guess, as progressive Christians? Like, how do we, how do we respond, I guess, is meaningful? Yeah. And I definitely, I, I find myself kind of, I myself fall into that trap sometimes of like, when I see things like that, I'm like, oh, like, you know, like, because it feels so different from the Christianity that like I practice and I see in like the community that we're, like we're a part of and the inclusive Christian community. And so sometimes it it is really easy to fall into that trap of like, well, that's not, you know, that's not really. And it's like, well, no, it is. And, you know, maybe if you're maybe within it, you know, it feels like it's so different that it's not within Christianity. It feels so different that it's not, but from the outside world, like that is what that's the image that they're getting right with these people that are that are filled with hate like it's so it is um like you said you know something that we have to deal with because it's not like like it's still sorry i'm waffling a little bit here now um well i think one response we often hear in church circles where people are just at a loss of words is we'll hear things like well, I'm just surprised, or I'm shocked. And then as though that somehow makes it better, like that might be an initial reaction. Yeah. But so often when we hear about uh, examples of Christian violence or Christofascism, and then the response from more progressive Christians is, um, that's shameful, or yeah, I'm surprised. You're like, okay, that's a reaction. That's not really a response. Yeah. Like that doesn't, that's not an action plan to present a different message. Yeah. And to push back against the violence that other Christians are, are wielding. Um, I think it shows that like we're just, we're kind of unprepared and not to blame people who have that response. I think it's more a structural problem that is mainline churches. We haven't built people up or given them proper education in how do you share faith in healthy ways and almost like inter, you know, um, bystander intervention training. When you see examples of racism or queer phobia, we need we need some of that bystander awareness, and especially when other Christians say or do hateful things, that we move beyond, well, I was shocked and surprised by that. It's like if someone's being harassed on a bus, that's not doing them much good, right? Yeah. And they don't necessarily need you to get up and start a physical altercation with someone because that could make it worse, right? Yeah. Like bystander awareness training will will remind you there's a spectrum of choices you may have to help diffuse or deflect a situation. So it's not about picking fights, um, but it is about feeling committed 
to love your neighbor in some concrete way to say, wow, someone's really threatened here. Um, how can I or we collectively, all the people on this bus or all the people in this church, do something that might be effective or at least um, share some of the heat this person is is being singled out because that's what bullying does, right? Singling someone out. Um, so that's something I think we we need and I need uh, to deepen my own awareness in that in a way that would be effective, I guess, so that the first response is no longer just, I'm shocked someone, uh, a Christian pastor would say that. I'm surprised. And then as though being indignant is is the end of it. Yeah. Um, so how do we do the next step to, wow, this, I bet the community being targeted there, in this case, children who are painting their nails, which could, exp- you know, be kids exploring gender, um, sexuality, all kinds of things. How do we as a congregation not just respond to this internet story or leave a comment on that post, but how do we here in Greater Victoria and those of you listening elsewhere, um, how do we stand up for trans kids, non-binary kids, kids who are just exploring gender expression in real ways? Because that is how we live out Christian love is by by finding some concrete action. So we can do that through messaging. Um, and we're going to get to some overt examples of that in, in our next episode. So I won't preempt that here. Um, but I think that's something we need to get more comfortable with. And it's not something mainline churches have been comfortable with in the past. Whereas a lot of evangelical churches in specific ways can be comfortable. They try to do the all are welcome thing, right? Like there's all the window dressing of that. Yeah. And then you read the boilerplate stuff under about us and faith statement, and you have to get real deep in the weeds often to even find that statement of faith for the, and some of the flashy ones won't even give you that, right? Zero transparency. Um, But we know they are comfortable in getting politically active in certain exclusionary ways. Um, And so they've, they've trained, right? They've been training together on how to be effective at doing political work as a a faith group in the nonpartisan way, in ways that, that we haven't. So they might not come out and say, hey, we're anti-trans, because they know that doesn't sell well to the general public. I mean, unfortunately, some places it does. But they're usually more savvy about that and do it through community building, right? So you're going to have youth groups. You're going to have sports groups for kids. You're going to have all those meetups. And in the meanwhile, it's all surrounded by really white, heteronormative community building. So, right, the potluck will be at the church or the hamburger hot dog thing is at the church parking lot. And the pastors and the youth pastors and all the youth leaders are there. And it's all very homogeneous. So it's they kind of do it by example, in a sense, by just living that out instead of having to say it out loud. Yeah. Which is kind of genius in a 
nefarious way. Yeah. Like they're very smart and savvy at what they do. And as mainline church folks, like it is to our detriment that we ignore the, the, their use of technology, of communication. They are masters at these things. I mean, we're, we're, you know, just struggling to get a podcast off the ground. And meanwhile, some of those groups have like, have had TV, TV empires and, you know, Christian media stuff galore yeah. since the 80s. Um, it's hard to point to a mainline example of that. Like maybe they were on AM radio in like the late 80s. You do a live broadcast or into the 90s yeah. on a Sunday morning, totally unedited. Just one microphone mounted somewhere like at the pulpit and that was it. And that would be broadcast you know, Lutheran Church live on the radio. That used to happen a bit more. Okay. And now we've got live streaming and such. But it's still a fairly niche audience. But that sense yeah. of, like, larger communication of getting their message out. So whether it's community-oriented stuff like big youth group or big uh, sports organization kind of thing, or it's the mass media approach, like, they're – a lot of non-denominational evangelical groups are skilled at that. And and through that can put out kinds of social cues and social messaging that might not be overt. Yeah. And I think that's off that's partly how they tell that message. Yeah, and and I've been really kind of mulling in my head this I feel like this really extends, I guess I'll talk about, you know, campus because we're on, we're on a UVic campus right now, um, really extends to like, even like, you know, not just churches, but also like Christian groups or like other Christian spaces. Um, you know, again, disclaimer, like we're both, we both are involved in the inclusive Christians club. So like, we'll never stop singing the praises, but you know, like, you know, the only overtly queer affirming christian group on campus of which there are like or in terms of christian groups i think there are good like four five six even christian groups that are or clubs that are kind of registered under uvic here and this sort of you know same thing that you're talking about with the churches like maybe you know not even necessarily maybe sometimes they won't even talk about it i know that um i mean i won't because it's not my experience, but I know several people that have come through the Inclusive Christians Club have had an experience of, you know, when they first got here and, and IC wasn't even a thing yet, and they got involved with these other Christian clubs, you know, they wouldn't they wouldn't talk about it. They don't want to talk about queer people, queer issues. They don't want to talk about anything like that. And it wasn't until, you know, sometimes two, three years into being involved with them, that these people would find out, oh, no, they're actually, like, completely against, you know, queer folks. And, I like, you know, and again, not me, myself, but some of the people from Inclusive Christians will say, you know, like, I myself am queer. And now all of a sudden I find out that this community that I built up thinks that there's, like, something, you know, fundamentally, like, wrong, quote, unquote, with me. And, yeah, like, I just, uh, yeah. So I, I just was thinking about that in terms of also, like, like clubs on campus because and and same thing inclusive christians really small 
you know, like we share a lot of the space with multi-faith every year. We're like struggling to find even like an hour of time for like anything else other than like around the table. We're like, oh, like, you know, I guess we could like go in this little closet at the back. <laughs> like, you know, the kitchen is so small in the multi-faith. Like what, what is it called now? Like not multi-faith chapel or I don't know what it's exactly uh, called. Celebration Hall. Celebration Hall. The kitchen is really small, and that's, you know, we've been kind of, like, sometimes relegated, okay, yeah, yeah, go, but, like, these other, these other Christian clubs that are, you know, supposed to be on campus will sometimes have, like, a whole freaking office space, like, downtown Victoria that they've, like, they can afford to, like, rent out because they're, like, so well-funded, and they're so, so, again, just kind of thinking about that, like, you know, same thing, inclusive Christians, the only queer-affirming, but we're, like, in such a position all the time to also be struggling you know what i mean for for resources for space for all this kind of stuff and then you have these these other christian clubs on campus that are just like you know overflowing with money that are like same thing have all these like hateful even if they're not immediately present have all these hateful views yeah i think it goes to the way um some of those kind of para ministries get funded. Yeah, that there are evangelical and non-denominational churches that, I guess, to their credit, really value campus ministry, and and invest heavily in making sure they have a, a thorough network of that. Starting to see the tide turn here a bit. Like for example, the United Church in in uh, uh, Southern BC is investing more in campus ministry as far as mainline churches go in a pretty impressive way. Yeah. Trying to be more consistent and be present on more campuses and bring a more queer inclusive approach. So a uh, kudos to the team who's organizing that. I know people who work that organization are, are doing good work. And I think there's opportunities like we're with the Lutheran church, there's Anglicans, there's other overtly queer affirming denominations um, who are part of that but I think sometimes when we're smaller players it's easier to talk down about uh, the role we play or um, the resources we have access to or maybe even how we allocate resources sometimes right that we have to also have trust and confidence that it's worth uh, investing in theologies that not not just theologies that give life, but to actually have like some kind of physical presence on campuses where students are. Yeah. And if we're not doing that, it kind of speaks to a wider church's lack of confidence in its own ability to function in a sense. Like that's when churches go into a kind of survival mode where the reaction is that sounds really good, but we don't have time or money for that, or we don't have anyone to fill that role, whatever it is. Um, that's usually a, a red flag that something's not going well. Yeah. Um, so thankfully things are a little, but in the upswing for us, we're getting some more support from, yeah. from the BC Synod, uh, from Lutherans. And we've had a banner year, with inclusive Christians in terms of having interns from Vancouver School of Theology, um, from having more student leaders such as you and and others. Um, Well, 
yes, it's still in a very humble stage that as you say yeah your your activity might get moved to the kitchen and someone probably needs to come in there and make coffee and tea while you're trying to talk at the table yeah someone's like oh i was gonna write my paper in here and you're in the kitchen now um so yeah i think i mean the one good thing is often like grassroots stuff can be quite humble like some of the exciting stuff out there um think the the crucial element is that is that there's like real energy and people involved and then hopefully the support and resources will follow um whether or not we have the the kind of downtown office space that some para para ministry uh provides and uh um i've talked to people who've worked in those positions though and they not always, but they they can feel lonely. At, t- at times, their own personal values are more progressive than in the, in the institutions. Okay. They can't say that out loud. Sometimes, ironically, the 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 leaders who are often young, often recent grads from a four year like a bachelor's program, um, they also don't realize the uh, the degree that the institution they've signed up with is exclusionary. And so it's only by working for them and yeah. by students saying, hey, can we do more queer inclusive stuff? And they quite earnestly ask the upper administration, hey, I'm making real headway here with these queer Christian students. Um, we want to explore that. And if the upper admin says, absolutely not, you cannot talk about that in a positive way whatsoever in terms of Christian faith. Like, some of those chaplains only find out because they they were kind of naive and yeah. didn't know how it worked, and now they're caught. Now their employment is bound to very bizarre conditions that, like, the only recourse they have is to shut up about it and carry out the orders of this organization and not talk about queer stuff in a positive life-giving way or quit. That's the options they're given. And so I know of some who have tried to skirt that. I don't think most do. I think that's the kind of the exception. But I met someone who, sadly, I think his go-to was just to like tamp it all down inside of just like, oh, well, that's really awful. This organization I work with is partly awful, but I guess all employers are awful at some point. And so he's just, that's his first job out of college. And he just kind of sucked it up. So he didn't have that, didn't have that much courage because he did kind of just yeah. go with throwing queer people under the bus a little bit. And was like, well, I guess I better keep up the company line. Yeah. Um, but he was on, he was honest enough to tell me that. I don't know. Maybe a bit naive, but yeah. Um, so I, I mean, there are cracks in the. I just share that like there are cracks in those organizations. They are not as pristine as and shiny as they appear on the outside. Yeah. Um, and so wherever there are cracks like that, right? Think about the Holy Spirit and life getting in there. So you never know. Like they break apart. As well, and sometimes leadership in those things radically changes, right? Someone someone does quit or someone's fired 
because they're pushing the envelope or whatever, or for some horrific reason, right? There's been some breach of trust. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes those organizations like are building up, building up, and then just totally collapse because of the bizarro conditions and laws with which they operate. But there's enough money there to like kind of float it along and hope the the free student labor will keep it going to yeah. the end of the year, that kind of thing. <laughs> what joyful topics we take up on. Let's talk faith but, yeah. and justice. Well, it but is in the name. It's in the name. Yeah, and it's important. Um, you know? Yeah. And so I think part of the problem in mainline churches, we haven't, we haven't always felt comfortable addressing these topics head on, yeah. right? It's more that I'm shocked, I'm yeah. surprised, but then it doesn't go anywhere from that, right? If that's where if that's where the response ends, it's not going to change. But if suddenly we pivot, and suddenly we're like, no, we're taking up space, yeah, like we're standing up for trans kids. We see people posting awful stuff online. And we see non-Christians or trauma, formerly former Christians who are now traumatized saying uh, there's no hate like Christian love. If we hear them saying that, like we don't want cynicism to be what def- what defines us, yeah. right? When we have a theology that could be rooted in grace and love. But that is going to take courage uh, to to kind of get our hands dirty a bit. And be comfortable with that. It's going to be messy. People won't like us. And that's okay. Yeah. You know, as, you know, a lot of us are people pleasers and stuff. Well, guess what? Like, right-wing Christian trolls won't like us. And they will send us nasty messages and whatnot. That's okay. So just getting comfortable with not being liked I think sometimes with that all, you know, mainline churches fall into that too, that all are welcome stuff is we want everyone to be happy who walks through the door. Well, that's impossible. Yeah. Because if we're going to stand up for principles that are queer inclusive, we're going to have to be okay with people not only not liking us, but with people hating what we're doing, despising it, calling us names, whatever. So we have to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. That's all right. Yeah, those people weren't going to come to church anyways. They weren't going to come to inclusive Christians. They weren't coming to the congregation. Yeah, just throwing rocks outside—that's easy to do. Um, so get comfortable about that. So if there's ever like an outburst, like a hateful outburst from someone, whether it's in worship or or a, an outside kind of hateful attack, or it's online. Um, I think part of the training is also to be like mentally prepared for that so that we, we don't just freeze up with that. Cause yeah. like, Oh, I'm uncomfortable. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that. My church is saying these things. I don't like my pastor saying these things. Yeah. I don't want to read about it online. Or they're always talking about being queer inclusive. They're always talking about being anti-racist. It's like, cause that's, that's where things are being fought right now. Yeah. And and students and and others are looking to us to be leaders on that. So, um, so it's it's kind of an exciting time. Yeah, I always you're always bringing the hope back into the. Office. That's I right. That's I right. <laughs> 
that's uh if i can just because we probably have to i think we're gonna have to wrap up in the next couple minutes here but um sort of one of the most sort of like inspiring things i don't i like i'm sure i can talk about you know but like um was when i joined like I, i became a member of like lutheran church of the cross right and um you know some of the members who had been around for a really long time talked about becoming like um like what is it called? It's reconciling in Christ. Yeah. But you have, you become a reconciling in Christ congregation. That's right. Okay. And they were like, you know, they, they say like when, when that happened, there were like several kind of like large families that were like, we're not sticking around if you do this. And they were like, well, we're going to do it anyways. And those people did leave, but it's like, yeah, I was just like, wow. Like, you know, because, because I feel like that is where, a lot of people get caught up. It's like, like you were saying like, Oh, like that's uncomfortable. I don't want that. I don't want like, you know, these, like these people to leave or this to change or that to change if we decide to do this. But I really like that. Like, you know, church of the cross was just like, well, you know what? We're doing it anyways. Cause it, it needs to be done. And I, I don't know. I just wanted to, I, again, just a, a thought that I was having as you were talking. Yeah. And that's a, that's a good note to end on in the, um, in that positive sense of like, well, we're here as community and we're here for neighbors and we're here for one another. And if people, you know, might have that initial reaction of disappointment or anger and they withdraw from community, I mean, that happens, but people are always welcome back. You never know. Yeah. Someone has a change of heart or perspective and, uh, that's that's also a possibility, but that we can't let the threat of conflict stop us from doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, not not in a, a you know like strident or like this is who we are. This is what we're gonna do, yeah. like it or not. Um, but no, like in a loving way. Like, wow, we are we've been given this gift to support queer folks in the church, those beyond the walls of the church, yeah, those seeking a church home um, because it is gospel-based. And that's why we're doing it. That's that's a great gift. Well, good note to end on. Yeah, thanks, absolutely, Boston. absolutely. <laughs> Do you want to uh, give, our, give our thanks for the end of the episode? <laughs> yeah, as always, yeah. we like to thank CFUV for recording here on the beautiful campus of University of Victoria yeah. in Victoria, BC. Uh, many thanks to the Multifaith Center, uh, where we often gather during the semester together with inclusive Christians, and also the support from Lutheran Church of the Cross uh, and the BC Synod for supporting campus ministry. All right, fantastic. Thank you very much for listening. We'll uh, see you next time. See, you'll hear us next time. Okay, bye. <laughs>